You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. In John's Gospel in chapter 17 and verse 4, as he's praying unto the Father, Jesus said, I have given them thy word, and the world hates them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. But, getting back to the unsaved person now, either consciously or unconsciously, the unsaved person is controlled by the values and the attitudes of this world. In this technologically connected culture, you're being constantly bombarded by voices telling you how to live and what you should value. From advertising to entertainment to social media, it's hard to break free from everything that's coming at you. Well, in today's message, Pastor Mike invites you to think about the factors that work against a person's ability to hear and follow God. You'll see how the world system draws people away from the Lord by enticing them to value other things. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 as he continues his message, Out of the Graveyard. Now notice the causes of the spiritual death, let's go back to verse 1, is, first of all, their trespasses. Okay, so what is trespasses? What is Paul referring to here when he used the word trespasses? Well, literally, it it can be translated willful disobedience. And this is a little bit different from sin, and I'll contrast that for you in, in just a moment. The trespasses or the willful disobedience is when a person knows better and nevertheless, he does it anyway. So it would be like, for example, you know, those of us who are acquainted with the scriptures and what God expects of us, and just ignoring them completely, and then just, you know, going and then just going ahead and, and fulfilling our own desires and the lusts of our flesh. Even though what we what we are doing is absolutely wrong. That's trespasses. Okay? And so that first of all leads to our uh, being dead. And then secondly, it's sin. Now, the word sin, our English word sin, comes from a Greek word. The Greek word is harmatia. And uh, there's a prefix added to it. The word martyr is literally translated from the Greek word martis, and it means a witness. And so that would be a great definition of what a martyr is. He's a witness unto God. So the prefix is added to it, harmatia, and it would suggest not a witness. The word sin literally means 
falling or missing the mark, falling short of or missing the mark, okay? You know, there are just times when, uh, you know, we fail to measure up to God's standards for whatever reason. It might be, uh, you know, a flaw in our character or our personality or, you know, some reoccurring sin that up until the present time we've been unable to overcome. We've sinned. We've fallen short of the, the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So those are the two words that Paul uses here that would suggest to us that this is the cause of a man or a woman's spiritual uh, death. Just think of it this way. It's an inward element that produces certain acts that are antagonistic towards God's laws. Remember there in the Garden of Eden, again, we're, we're addressing the subject of what this word death, he's dead, what is Paul referring to here? And I'd like to bring you back, if I may, to the uh, book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. And remember there in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 2, in verses 16 and 17, after God had created the physical universe and then placed the first man, the first woman in the Garden of Eden, it was all perfect. It was all theirs to enjoy. He told them to subdue all of the earth. All of that was created for man for the benefit and the blessing of mankind. He just laid one restriction upon them, right? You can eat of any of the trees in the Garden of Eden with the exception of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he goes on to declare, and the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Now, you know how the story goes. In fact, right, uh, the devil came in, tempted Eve. Uh, she gave way to it, enticed her, her husband to do likewise. They both ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But did they die physically? No. So therefore, God said to Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. So what was he talking about? Was he talking about a physical death? No, obviously not. He was talking about a spiritual death. You see, in the Bible, often the word death simply means separation. And it refers to a spiritual separation from God. Again, the idea is spiritual death. And so, therefore, the unbeliever is not sick. He's dead. He doesn't need resuscitation. What does he need? He needs a resurrection. You see, that's the difference between the two. So therefore, all lost sinners are dead. And the only difference between one sinner and another is the state of their decay. You see, one sinner may enjoy certain advantages over another sinner. For example, one sinner might be rich. One sinner might be extremely educated. One sinner might hold a very high position within their community. But it doesn't matter whether you're a downer-outer or a corporate executive. Both of those individuals are dead in their sin. One corpse, think about it, one corpse cannot be more dead than another. You, you know, you lay them side by side, they're both dead. One isn't more dead than the other, right? So does that make any sense? So this means then that our world is one vast graveyard filled with people who are dead while they live. They're decaying corpses walking around. 
They might as well be zombies. It's, listen, it's something right out of a horror movie. And listen, let me also add that these guys don't need a costume to go trick-or-treating on Halloween. Really, I mean, think about it. Uh, now, that's a little grotesque, I know. I'm sorry. I, I couldn't help it, but I went for it. But isn't that what the scriptures teach? Like, for example, in 1 Timothy, in chapter 5 and verse 6, it says, he or she that lives in pleasure and sin is dead while they live. So therefore, he's dead. So that's the first characteristic. That's who we were. We were absolutely dead in our trespasses and sin, alienated from God. Now let's go on in our study. Another characteristic, let's go back to our text, of the unsaved person is he is disobedient. Let's go back and read verses 2 and the first part of verse 3 once again. In which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. So, the second characteristic of the unsaved person is that they are disobedient. You see, disobedience, think about it this way, is the beginning of man's spiritual death. Okay, let's go back to the Garden of Eden for a moment to make this point. Remember, Satan came along and he was tempting Eve. And uh, he began to contradict what God had said to the woman. No, God, you don't understand. God really didn't say that. And uh, he didn't really mean that if you eat thereof, you surely die. And then he went even as far as to suggest, you know, that God was unfair and uh, that God was withholding some good thing from you because he knew that in the day you eat thereof, you shall become like him, right? And by the way, this is just simply one of the ploys of the, the devil. You know, the Bible tells us, Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians that we're not ignorant of the devices of the devil. And that's one of the ways that he goes about to deceive you is he takes the word of God and perverts it. He'll add something to it. He'll subtract something from it, Right? He twists it. It has enough in it to be respectable. He tries to pervert the word of God, bring doubt into the believer's mind concerning what God had said. And because they believed this lie, that is Adam and Eve, right, and disobeyed, they experienced an immediate spiritual death. And therefore, they were driven out of the Garden of Eden. And listen, since that time, mankind, likewise, has chosen to live in disobedience unto God. Isn't that true? Now, now there are three forces that encourage man in their disobedience. Write these down. And you know, I'm, I'm not telling you something that you don't already know. The world, secondly, the devil, and thirdly, lastly, the flesh. Okay, so let's take them in that order. First of all, the world. Let's talk about the world and how that force encourages us to disobey the Lord. The world, or more accurately, the world system. Notice there in verse 2. Go back to verse 2. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. Do you see that? Okay, so how does that work? Well, the world in which we live, the world system, puts pressure upon each person to try to get them to conform. 
to conform to what? To popular opinion, to the mores of the society in which we live that are totally contradicting God's laws. And that's the reason why in the book of Romans, in chapter 12, in verse uh, 2, Paul writes there, and do not be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how is our mind renewed? It's through the word of God. Who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the many voices out there? The Oprah's, the Dr. Phil's, all of these supposedly intellects? Or are you going to rather appeal to the word of God? Right? And so that's the reason why Paul says, be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye rather transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is how it works. Whatever you put in is what you get out, right? So we need to spend time regularly in the Word, and it'll just dramatically change your worldview. You'll have a Christian worldview, which is so very, very important. So the world system makes you feel like you're an oddball, right? If you don't know God's Word and what God's Word tells us, and there's nothing that you'll ever experience in your life's experience that God's Word doesn't address. Whatever you're going through, if you have any kind of a question about your life's experience, appeal to the Word. Uh, you'll find something in the Word that speaks directly to your particular situation. And you could be absolutely sure about that. So you don't have to walk around confused and not knowing what you're supposed to do. But if you're appealing to the world and their suggestions, right? I'm a Christian, and uh, they make you feel like an, an oddball. And that kind of a thing leads to a lackadaisical attitude towards God's laws, the mores of our society. Are you kidding me? You know, Pastor Mike, that's extremely Victorian in, your, in our, my understanding or thinking. You know, that's, uh, that, that idea should be assigned to a past time and not presently. It's sort of like Victorian. It, it can't be relevant and relatable to the things that are going on in our advanced society today. Oh, yeah, we're really advanced. Listen, remember, Jesus was not of this world, and therefore neither should his people be. In John's Gospel in chapter 17 and verse 4, as he's praying unto the Father, Jesus said, I have given them thy word, and the world hates them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. But, getting back to the unsaved person now, either consciously or unconsciously, the unsaved person is controlled by the values and the attitudes of this world. That's the second force that stands in the way, or actually the first force that stands in the way, the world, right, that causes a man or a woman to be disobedient. Let's go on. Then there's the devil. What does it say there in verse 2? Who is referred to the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Notice there in verse 2 of our text. And this would suggest that he is the one who controls the course of this world. He is, as I often mention, beating the drum that people are marching to. And it doesn't necessarily mean him personally, because remember now, he's limited. 
He's not like God on the present. He can't be everywhere at once, but nevertheless, he's still a very formidable uh, enemy. But because of his demonic influences over the world system and also his associates, notice in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, and man, I can't wait to get to chapter 6. You know, when we go into probably the greatest chapter in all of the Bible relatable to spiritual warfare. But in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So these are all in league or controlled by the devil. You see that? He can't be everywhere at once. But nevertheless, he uses these associates of his, these demonic influences, and his power over the world system. You know, in John's Gospel, in chapter 12, in verse 31, Jesus even refers to the devil in this way. He is the prince of this world, which would suggest he's the ruler of this world. It's true. And that's the very reason. You see, we lost it. Man lost the title deed to earth when he disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. Interestingly enough, I want you to think about something. In the book of Revelation in chapter 4, when the church is already raptured and just prior to the seven years of tribulation, before God begins to bring forth the cataclysmic judgments against a Christ-rejecting world, Jesus appears upon the scene. And there is a scroll that is presented to him. What was that scroll in the book of Revelation in chapter 4 and 5? I believe that it was the title deed to earth, which was lost through the disobedience of Adam and Eve back there in the book of Genesis. So what was lost is now going to be recovered during the seven years of tribulation as he purges the earth. Just something to think about, something to digest, try to wrap your head around it. I could be wrong. I doubt it, I might, I'm, but I might be. You know, there are many people that teach, I'm only joking around, but I could be wrong, but there are many uh, teachers who are absolutely in agreement with that interpretation. So anyway, Jesus himself refers to the devil as the prince of this world. Make no mistake about it. You know, we were also talking about this in one of our previous studies. If God ever opened our eyes to the spiritual warfare that's going on around us, it would blow you away. I know that it exists, but I don't, I don't want to see it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm not a ghostbuster, you know? And uh, I'll let God take care of that business. And, he's, and those demonic forces that have come against us, that plant these ideas and thoughts in our mind that bring us back to the way we were and the way that we think about and yearn for the way we were. And, uh, you know, i got to tell you something. Sometimes I feel like, you know, shaking someone who's a Christian, and they're talking fondly about the way that they were. They're like sort of bragging about how much, you know, how many drugs they used to do, or LSD, or, you know, fornication, or chasing women, or, or drunkenness, and all of those things. And I feel like, you know, you know, grabbing that person and shaking him. It's not something to be fond of. It's not something to be uh, brag about. Yeah, brag about. There's another word, but I can't find it right now. I'm having a senior moment. So, but nevertheless, 
Satan influences the lives of unbelievers and also seeks to be proud of and also seeks to influence believers as well. He wants to make people children of disobedience, as is mentioned here in our text. Children of disobedience unto God. And one of the ways, in fact, one of the chief ways that he goes about that is the telling of lies. In John's Gospel, in chapter 8 and verse 44, we are told that he is the father of lies. You see, the unsaved multitudes in today's world system disobey God. Why? Because they believe the lives of Satan. And I, do, do I need to go through some of those lies? You know what they are. I don't have to tell you. All of the crazy things. That, it's more evident today than ever before. And unfortunately, you know what? Some of those lies have actually crept into the church uh, today. So that's the second enemy. And then there is the flesh. Let's go back to our text. Notice there in verse 3. It says, Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. So the third force that encourages us to disobey is the flesh. Now, let me balance this out by saying, by the flesh, Paul does not mean the body. He's not talking about that. Because in and of itself, the body is not sinful. I mean, your flesh doesn't have a mind of itself, does it? It's not some kind of a separate entity that you have no control over, right? So the flesh that the scriptures refer to in a couple of different places refer to the fallen nature of man, the fallen nature that we are born with that wants to control the body and the mind and make us disobedient unto God. Let me ask you a question to kind of validate this claim. Why does a dog behave like a dog? Because he has the nature of a dog, right? You don't have to be a genius to figure that out. Okay, let me ask you another question. Why does a sinner behave like a sinner? And the answer to that question is because he or she has the nature of a sinner. You know, David put it this way in the 51st Psalm in verse 5. He says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Let me give you another cross-reference. In the 58th Psalm in verse 3, we are told that the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. You know, think about that as a child, for those of you who are parents. Who taught your kid to lie? Who taught your kid to be deceptive? It's within their nature. Did you do that? No, I didn't do it. They're hiding it behind their back. Did you take that? No, I didn't take it. And they're, as they're saying it, they're putting it in their pocket, right? But who taught them to do that? It's a part of their nature. And that's why they need the second nature. That's why they need to be born again of the Spirit of God. You see that? In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long to be Oh my That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Thanks for joining us. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House. Be sure to subscribe and let us know you're a listener in the comments. 
If you don't have a church that you call home, we'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, you can reserve your seat by clicking on Contact and then the Register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to hear today's message again or to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. Thanks again for joining us. We look forward to our continuing study of Ephesians next time, right here on In My Father's House. Where I long to be, oh my heart, not be troubled. I remember what you said.